Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. With me in the studio this week is my guest, Jamie Fisher. She is a freelance researcher and writer who often reviews books for The New York Times, The Washington Post, and The Times Literary Supplement, and has recently finished a novel set in post-war Italy. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled and tickled to be here. Congratulations so much on finishing a novel about post-war Italy, or rather, set in post-war Italy. Thank you very much. Thank you. I The only contribution I can make to that conversation is that this year I finally got around to reading Sybil Bedford. I don't know if you've ever read A Favorite of the Gods, but I am bananas for it. I am about to start uh, Jigsaw, uh, which is a memoir of hers that is apparently not not particularly good, and yet I don't care. Um, I, I I fully believe that anyone with a life like hers, like no matter how bad the memoir, yes. I'm going to want to read it. Yes. I'm, I'm absolutely going to read it. I'm very excited. I have not read Jigsaw. All I've read is Favorite of the Gods and Compass Errors, or Compass Error, and just, you know, makes exaggerating chomping noise of how good they were. Just... I, can you promise me that your book is just a favorite of the gods, but more? I can give you a copy of the favorite of the gods in which I've replaced her name with my own. Um, Jamie, are you kidding me? This is so exciting. <laughs> I'll sign it. It'll be great. It'll be forgery. Please, please do. I just, ugh, ugh. I loved that book so much. And just especially the beginning where it's just this, like, incredibly critical, like, 12-year-old, like, sulking around her family's villa, just observing the ways in which both of her parents have failed to be at their best at dinner parties. And I'm just like, if I could inject this kind of content directly into my veins, I would. <laughs> like, for a child who grew up in, like, a regular house in the Midwest, I sure wanted to be swanning around a villa, quietly judging my, like, aging aristocracy family. I think that's probably the most we can want out of life. It's certainly the um, attitude that I bring. Uh, to this column, which is just an embittered social striver who is suited for a life of angry dinner parties set in crumbling castles. Fair. But I've never been to one. Okay. Um, (laughs) So with that in mind, would you read our first question? I would be delighted to. Subject line, do I buy the ticket? Dear Prudence, I'm a 24-year-old woman finishing my first year in the career field after college. While in college, I met a guy on Tinder, and we hit it off, not romantically, but as friends, and hung out all the time. A year later, I got an internship in a remote village in Alaska. I moved away for three months, and when I got back, I started dating a different guy. Said friend got a job elsewhere in the country, so my boyfriend never really got to meet him. My friend calls me weekly, and we text a lot, which bothers my boyfriend as he feels threatened. I understand where he's coming from. He never got to meet my friend, but at the same time, I don't want to drop my friendship for the relationship. I don't feel that's fair. My friend has recently brought up the idea of me coming to visit for a few days, but I'm scared of what my boyfriend would say. I know he wouldn't want me to go, but this is honestly one of my closest friends, and with my stressful work situation, I could really use a vacation. Help, I'm stuck in the middle and don't want to hurt anyone. I can't imagine I, – I often will hear from people who are in relationships where their partners of, like, not that long are just like, I'm mad at all the friends that you have. Knock it off. What's that about? I'm I'm relieved to hear you say this because I, I hear it enough as a, as, a, as, as a problem. Oh, my boyfriend doesn't approve of my friend. And I don't think that it's healthy or – ideal like it immediately makes me wonder if the relationship in this case especially is is maybe controlling in in other ways that the letter writer hasn't noticed or if maybe the boyfriend just like picked up this sort of unhealthy attitude towards friendships <laughs> i don't know yeah i mean the big question i feel like is very simple like should i invite my very close friend who i have known for years um and really care about to come visit yes I think that you should. 
the only reason that you feel like you don't want to is you're scared of what your boyfriend would say. I'm sorry, you coming to visit him. Uh, strike that reverse it the other way around. Um, <laughs> That's the best scene in Willy Wonka. Yeah. I. Uh, yes, you should go. And if your boyfriend says anything other than have a good time or sometimes I experience irrational jealousy and I want to acknowledge that to you, my person I'm dating, but I also know that that jealousy should not dictate your behavior. Thanks for hearing me out. Go have a great time. Yeah. Like, Go. And if he says, I object to this, just go anyways. I wonder I wonder how much it's worth asking the boyfriend what in particular he feels threatened by. If it's something he can articulate or if it's just something that he feels strongly on principle without much um, reason. Yeah, I, I think your desire not to hurt anyone is not going to be an especially useful one here. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think I, I, my guess is that the boyfriend's reasons are this is a guy who texts you a lot. He's a man who's a friend. And what if you want to sleep with him? And, you know, the answer to that is like, if the letter writer wanted to sleep with him, they they would have, you know, they chose yeah. not to date this guy. They chose to become friends. Um, they've chosen to stay friends. Um, they're perfectly capable of uh, remembering who their boy, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she's not going to fly off and be like, oh, no, it's a man I talk to. I forget. Is he my boyfriend? Like, <laughs> you know, like, give give her a little credit. Um, I think rather than saying, I don't want to hurt anyone, you should say, I don't want to act in a way that is unnecessarily hurtful. Um, yeah. Because yeah. you cannot control whether or not you hurt someone if someone is, like, unreasonably hurt by ordinary things like friendship. Right? Then that yeah. would put in undue burden on you. But if you want to say, hey, I want to be honest with my boyfriend. Um, I want to have friendships with men and women that are meaningful. I want to be upfront and clear about what I will and won't do for a relationship. And beyond that, I have no responsibilities. Then I think you can both be kind and go on this trip and encourage your boyfriend to let this one go. I'm actually bizarrely in, I don't want to say an almost identical situation because I never did an internship in a remote village in Alaska. But I have a friend who's coming to visit me and um we you know we were we were once an item and my my current boyfriend is entirely fine with that uh visiting for a week um so yeah so it's hard it's hard for me to imagine a situation where I would want to continue to be with someone who feels so threatened by the possibility of male female interaction but I also wonder whether um if, if it's possible that there's a version of this trip where the boyfriend comes along to get to know no, the friend. No, 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 oh, no, absolutely not. Can you imagine just like, because that gives into this idea of like, it, you owe it to your boyfriend to make sure that he meets all men who might want to talk to you. Can you I'm just picturing him like That's sitting true. in the back of like a dinner as they're trying to catch up and have an, a separate independent friendship just being like, I better approve of all of this. Like, absolutely. Like, if the guy comes to visit sometimes and there's a chance for you all to grab dinner, sure, of course. But this is you two catching up after a long time. This is not casual drinks out meeting the friends. This is an independent, separate friendship. And I don't like the implication that my boyfriend should have gotten to meet him first to sign off on this. Like, Like, she needs a permission slip to have a guy friend. Um, oh, I meant it less as a permission slip than just as um, sort of like a way to No, of course, like to defuse the situation. Yeah. <laughs> and I totally understand that impulse. But I think what that would do would like yeah. give like buy into this version of events of, you know, your comfort is the most important thing here. My job is to make sure that you feel relaxed around this guy, not you should let go of this irrational misplaced jealousy. Um, this is not some guy that she's like flirting with constantly and like sending suggestive pictures to and calling her secret boyfriend or having any kind of affair with where there would be like oh i understand where this jealousy is coming from this is literally just like a man she met before she started dating him um and that's not inherently threatening this is when harry met sally which is a great movie but a bad way to build your relationships yeah, no, go on the trip. Do not bring your boyfriend. <laughs> Encourage him to make better choices about his jealousy um, and have a great time. Just, yeah, yeah, re- refuse to be bothered by his problem here. Some problems deserve sympathy and some deserve, hey, I really hope you get over this. And this deserves. <laughs> They're going to say get over yourself. <laughs> I mean, that one's equal idea. Equal idea. Yeah, yeah. Mm-mm. 
Oh, man. All right. So this next one um, is a really different relationship scenario. Uh, I'm not mad at anybody in this one, which is great. It's always <laughs> good to not be mad. The subject here is a confused asexual. Dear Prudence, I'm a 30-year-old man, and I'm questioning whether I'm asexual. I've never really been into sex as it creeps me out a little, and I've only ever had one sexual partner. I was also sexually assaulted in college. I do enjoy makeout sessions and cuddling, just not sex. My problem is that I've started dating someone, and I'm trying to figure out when and how to tell her that sex is not really my thing. I've told her that I have issues around sex and about my assault. We were friends before we started dating, and she's been very patient and trusting. How do I tell her that sex may not be an option? I actually think this may not be as big a thing as the letter writer fears it may be. Exactly. Because it sounds like you two haven't had sex. It sounds like she's already pretty aware that sex is not, like, something that is unfraught and exciting um, and and that you're super jazzed to start having with her. So she's already, like, pretty aware that this is a difficult issue for you and that you're not necessarily, like, raring at the bit to jump into bed. So Mm. I, I do think she's already pretty aware uh, of of where you're coming from. So this is simply going to be more information that will, um, you know, really line up with the picture she already has of what kind of relationship you would like to have with her. So I think, yeah, just you have already set the groundwork for this conversation. Does that make sense? Yes, I think so. I, and I also think, I mean, after a certain point, you have to be honest with her and ask if she would be okay in a relationship that doesn't involve sex, because right now she might be operating according to a paradigm where she thinks that sex will be Sex is imminent. Mm-hmm. Um, if only there's enough patient and time. And that that might be true as, as someone who doesn't, like, always think of myself as a very, like, um, a sexual being. Like, for me, physical contact and emotional and intellectual intimacy are most important. Um, it's, it really depends a lot on the, the relationship. The, the person that I'm with can really determine how I feel about, you know, sex in any, any particular relationship. Um, I mean, for, for, from personal experience, I'd also add that, like, no one thinks you have more baggage than you do. You may be the person who knows the fullest extent of your baggage, um, but that does not mean that, that anyone else will feel the way that you feel about it. Um, you may be thinking that if she knows more about how you feel about sex, she may think of you as damaged or that you may, you may feel that, that it's impossible for you to have a relationship. But that might just be in your head. Uh, letter writer, and the only way you can find out is is by being honest about it. Yeah, and and so the question, like, how do I tell her? Mm. Um, I, I think a good way of doing it will be kind of framing it based on what you've already told her, which is like, hey, I know I've already talked to you about some of the issues I have about sex, um, and that I've been assaulted, um, and I'm really glad that I could share those things with you. But I also want you to know that even as we like you know, develop our connection, come to trust one another more, share these things. Um, I don't anticipate that sex is necessarily going to be something I will want. Like, we could have the best relationship in the world. I could feel maximally safe, seen, known, trusted by you. Um, And I may still not want to sleep together. Um, And I want you to know that uh, because I I, want to be really clear about what my expectations are um, and, you know, let me know if that kind of lines up with your idea of a relationship. And that, I think, is the best way of doing it. Um, you don't have to do this like tonight. It sounds like you've just started seeing each other fairly recently. Um, but I also imagine that it will go a long way towards making you feel more relaxed um, once you know that she knows that and is not like laboring under the misapprehension that sex may be um, around the corner. And. Just just to put it out there, because this isn't something that's worked for me personally, but I know there, there are cases where um, asexuals get involved in relationships that are polyamorous so that you can have a partner that you're very close to emotionally, but who is not asexual themselves and, and sort of gets the the sex element from someone else. And if you're comfortable with that, it can kind of take a burden off of you if you feel guilt not that you should feel guilt, but it's sometimes, you know, sometimes you feel guilt anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of options, right? Like yeah. you're still figuring out whether or not you're asexual. Um, you're still not really sure how she feels about sex. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like you have a – you know, maybe you're just assuming that she has a really like – standard, uh, for lack of a better word, approach yeah. <laughs> to sex. But she she may be closer to you on, on, on that on that spectrum. Yeah. Um, you guys may 
want to just keep seeing one another and seeing where it goes. You may both be open to the idea of sometimes seeing other people. Like there's a lot of possibilities that that you won't know about until you talk more. Um, and I think it's a really good sign. You've already told her some really yeah. personal stuff. She's been patient and trusting. Don't worry that like she's about to reach her limit um, and that you've already told her like a number of things that she's like, quote unquote, put up with. And that, right. you know, it's not your job to like try to sell yourself as like this great, easy like you're you right like it's not your job to be as easy as possible to be in a relationship with i mean it's your job to be like kind and honest and open but it's not like i could imagine how from this perspective you might worry oh i've already told her a number of things that are big what if i tell her too many things that are big and she decides i'm not worth it yeah just in case that's in the back of your mind i hope you don't feel that way because as someone else who considers herself to have a lot of baggage it's 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 always hard in relationships like oh do i tell one thing now do i tell two things mhm yeah is it you know is this the thing that's going to turn someone away from me mm-hmm. and it may be that ultimately sex is really important for her and it ends up being a deal breaker and you guys will have to develop uh, a relationship that is not romantic and if that happens even if it were painful, that wouldn't be a bad outcome because that would yeah. mean you guys had discovered that you weren't compatible and it's better to not be with someone you're not compatible with. But it's also really good to tell her, like, I love making out. I love cuddling. Like, those are great things. And it's also helpful to say, like, I enjoy those not just as preludes to sex, but in and of themselves. Um, That's good in any relationship. Many people love making <laughs> out and cuddling. It is, you know, generally speaking, lots and lots of people like those things very much. Highly she, highly rated historically. Yeah, yeah. She may like those things very much too without feeling like she is getting a lesser version of something else that she really wants. But yeah. um, I wish you the best. I'm really glad you have a patient, trusting partner. And um, I'm glad that you're going to have the opportunity to be clear so that I, I would hate for you to feel like you had to keep this from her because it's your job to provide someone with sexual desire because it's not. Even if you're dating, it's your job to be you. Oh, I'm yeah. feeling very sentimental today. <laughs> it's your job to be you. But yeah, it is. I would. I mean, also, I would also add. Yeah, I mean, on that note, it's it's not your job to present the optimal version of yourself at all times. <laughs> yes. Ah. Um, so. Yeah, but I, I I also feel very very teary eyed and optimistic about about this this relationship. This sounds like a good person. Yeah. Both of you sound like great people. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Um, This next letter really got to me because it was... Yes. Do you know what it made me think of? What? Did you see Phantom Thread? No, I meant to, and then I didn't. And then I just kept picturing it was a movie where, like, Daniel Day-Lewis stared furiously at a button. And then I... You are not incorrect. Okay. But, I mean, that could be cool. Yes. It, it, I mean, I thought it was a great experience. I thought that the the, mus- the musical stylings were very effective. But but there's this there's this one scene where he is making this gorgeous, silky, folded. I don't have I don't have a like a taxonomy of terms for for tailoring. I'm sorry, then but it's like a out. silky, folded dress for this woman who clearly doesn't think much of her own appearance. She's um, overweight, and she starts. You almost think she's having a fit when he starts fitting her, and instead she she just starts crying, and she says that no matter how beautiful the dress is, she will she will never be beautiful or or loved. Something to that effect. Man, and um, it really got me where I lived. <laughs> mm. Yeah, just that. There's so much in here that's like trying to deal with real issues of loneliness, um, living as a person who is experiences a lot of rejection um, and does not fit into really like normative standards of beauty and feeling like there's no room for her to talk about that because the only the only people who are talking about this are like violent men who are like my loneliness means I'm entitled to hurt women exactly Um, and that really man I just really feel for this letter writer like just giving the lie to the idea that a person who experiences loneliness has the right to externalize that into misogynist violence um, when she's like, actually, I, I would just really like to talk about my my pain. And it's very clear to me yes. that I don't have the right to harm anyone. And so, like, fuck these guys for in addition to everything else for, like, taking away space for this conversation. Anyways, I, we're really spoiling this letter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I, but would you would you yes. mind reading it? Yes, and, yes. and I will move Phantom Thread up the queue of movies that I need to see. Excellent. Yes, I will. Um, I have some thoughts on, on what you were getting into as well. Um, subject line. Finding peace when you are, quote, undateable. Dear Prudence, I'm a middle-aged woman with no experience in dating, relationships, or sex due to a genetic condition that has left my appearance, quote, unfortunate. 
I've always focused my energy on my studies, work, friendships, and trying to help others. But the older I get, the more painful it becomes to be so profoundly alone and romantically rejected in spite of my decent personality and strong social skills. Attempts at online dating only earned me insults and belittlement, and efforts to turn friendships with men into something more have always resulted in laughter, shock, or simply affirm no. The recent spate of media attention directed at people who are unable to form romantic relationships has made things even harder for me. Increasingly, I see older adult virgins and unloved people being stigmatized as potentially dangerous and branded, quote, entitled, if we even admit to our feelings of loneliness, all because of incidents perpetrated by misogynistic men. Efforts to hide my grief and shame about my undesirability and inexperience add yet another layer of pain. I've watched my normal-looking peers marry and raise children with people who love them and wondered why the universe deemed me unworthy of sharing my life with someone else, especially when I've been able to look past the appearances and challenging circumstances of others and hope that my affection might be returned. How do I find peace with my situation? Oh. I mean, there's so much here. Yeah, there like, really is. From just that that she's been like laughed at or mocked for asking somebody out um, yeah or you know feeling like oh just like the insults and belittlement like getting that online like that's just really painful like some of this is is just it's always difficult to experience loneliness and to figure out like how do I live my life in such a way when it looks like I'm probably not going to get something that I want very very much um yeah. And then feeling like that conversation has also been, like, hijacked in order for, like, you know, entitled misogynist men um, to justify violence. Um, that That's another sort of pain. So in a yeah. very big sense, like, how do you find peace with your situation? Man, that is the problem of life, right? Like, yeah. some some of this is just, it will look different every day. Um, sometimes it will be in... Um, prioritizing the relationships in your life that do matter, whether that be with friends or family members or or pets or like friends online or work or hobbies, um, all the things in your life that bring you joy. Um, not in a sense of, you know, these are pale imitations of the thing that I really want, mm. um, but in the sense of I can both experience profound grief and heartache at not having something that I think I would really, really love and I can also still take joy in the relationships that I do have that bring me meaning. And both of those things can be true. One doesn't cancel the other out. Yeah. Um, but these things are still good, even if I don't have the romantic relationship that I want. Because part of what's just, you know, painful is um, sometimes the greatest people, wonderful people, who would be fantastic in a romantic relationship, don't get one. Um and and not not to not to make light of the situation at all, but I thought, with sincerity, I thought a little bit about uh, the Phantom of the Opera. Like, I mean, great great guy, disfigured. Was he a great guy? Didn't he try to murder her? <laughs> well, we, isn't we, he exactly <laughs> one of these people we're talking about? Yes. Okay, this is true. But but imagine <laughs> a, imagine a situation where you know someone is a disfigured but talented composer. Maybe I'm just going. Uh, off. Yeah, I don't know that I feel comfortable. Okay. kind of drawing parallels with with fictional. Uh, yeah, characters yeah. who have been kind of used in like ableist ways, uh, but but I do feel like <laughs> I, I I I I do understand this idea of feeling like why is no one looking past um, something that I look past in others? Like why are yeah. people hung up on something that I'm not hung up on? And it, like why are they cruel about it? Um, why are people cruel about my appearance? Um, like, well, that's the element that that gets to me. Like, it's a situation where it's it's like you know he's got a problem with half his face, and so he decides that the obviously the solution is to live in a subterranean opera palace and give up on human company. I really got to reread this book, man. <laughs> um, but I don't. I I just I I I just feel the pain in this situation and a feeling of being exiled that is not it you know it's not necessarily the way it has to be and it just feels so unjust and 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 gets to me and again i, I really hope the metaphor doesn't come off the wrong way i meant it earnestly yeah um, but I, I would say that um as, as far the, the sort of easy part of the question is um 
the, the bit about the, the recent spate of media attention directed at people unable to form romantic relationships. Um, I would say letter writer, try to separate yourself from the attention being directed at trends because you are not a trend. You are a person. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, it's, it's, it can be hard sometimes to, to see reports in the news about people who bear like even glancing similarities to you or to feelings that you felt and, and not to feel that the reaction against them is somehow a reaction against you. It is not. Um, try not to. It's very hard, but try not to generalize it. Um, the people who get called entitled aren't people who admit to wanting company. They're people who feel that they are being denied sex, that they are somehow rightfully owed, and that's that's very different. That's a different. That's entitled. That's not. That's not what you're feeling. Yeah, and I I think it's it's really helpful to if 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 nowhere else than internally to say like yes, these guys do not have a monopoly on talking about loneliness and romantic rejection. Amen. Um, like. I get to talk like there. We have nothing in common um, when it comes to this conversation. What I'm experiencing is nothing like what they're experiencing. Um, yes, because what they're experiencing is like a weaponized sense of entitlement. That's like the universe owes me a certain amount of sex, yes. and if I can't jab women into producing it for me, I'm going to kill them. Um, which is not about dealing. With, that's not about like you know meaningfully grappling with loneliness that's about viewing women as like as people have said before like sex vending machines um, who you push the right number of buttons on and they give you sex um so yeah. so even if it's just for yourself to say like these guys do not speak in any way for me if i want or need to talk about my own loneliness my own sense of um romantic or sexual longing um for companionship i get to do that and i know that it has nothing to do with these guys because i'm not saying Someone needs to build me this or the world Mm -hmm. is going to pay. You're going to say, I'm a fucking human being who would really like to experience, you know, sex and romance. Um, And when I have tried to, I have been met with, uh, like, ableism, um, belittling Mm -hmm. cruelty, um, sexism, laughter, mocking. And that sucks. And that's just cruel and and that's a very real pain and 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 so i i I worry too that in the beginning i was sounding a little dismissive of like you can focus on the other things in your life i know you're already doing that right like i know you know that um so i I feel like part of what this question is just do i have room to talk about this does this matter am i allowed to say these things um or will i be you know perpetuating this like awful conversation um that's been really like taken over by these guys and and the answer to that is no like you do have a mm-hmm. right to talk about these things whether that be with your friends or a therapist or even just whenever is appropriate um to to share that this is a very real and very meaningful hurt and it's not just like it's not casual and it matters and i yeah. i can't promise you that talking about it honestly is going to result in anything else because as you already know the world is a really unfair place especially if you're a woman and especially if you're a woman who doesn't fit into like certain beauty standards um but yeah it it, it matters your pain matters um how you find peace with your situation is gonna look different every day some of it i think will just be it will have to start from just saying honestly i'm not at peace with my situation i don't like my situation i'm in pain and I want someone to hear me and I want someone to pay attention. And I hope that you can find that somewhere in your life. I mean, there's as, – as someone who's been in a in similar situations and someone with, with medical challenges who's still not fully reconciled to the idea of having a body at all, um, I feel this a lot. And I would say based on my own relationships, it's it's worth stepping back and asking about when you feel lonely – do you feel that you're looking for a person in your life or do you feel that you're looking for a solution to feelings of 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 loneliness? I mean it could be both, right? Yeah. No, but what I what I mean is it's a little hard to articulate, but I remember um sort of at at, at my at my loneliness loneliness somewhere and when I was feeling worst about myself, I felt that you know, if only I had a partner that these problems would be solved, mm-hmm. basically the problem that is me. And and sometimes you just have to. I'm not saying give up on on other people, but I'm I'm saying that there might be you might be feeling things that um, that only you can solve, and that that friendships can can help with. Uh, but you might be sort of waiting on a person as a solution to some of the problems that you're feeling, um, and that may or may not happen. I hope it does, but it might not. 
Yeah, that's hard because I feel like I also want to offer something like specific. Like if you just do this one thing, I know you'll be able to find uh, somebody who would be willing to date you and who you would be willing to date. Um, or you should, you know, try this avenue of online dating that you haven't yeah. previously considered. Um, or you should, you know, create a dating profile that like puts all this up front of like, here's been my experience and here's what I'm looking for. Um, or like, like look for different circles. Right. Or like look for different narratives um, or stories of people who have experienced what you're experiencing and have found a way to live their life that does have peace in it. Yeah. So, you know, like looking for people who have really struggled with um, romantic and sexual rejection on the basis of their appearance um, and who have found a life where you think not they got everything they wanted necessarily, but that's a good life. That's a life with meaning and love and connection in it. And they seem to have lived in a way that did not, um, you know, spin out into violence. Um, And that's going to look really, you know, I I don't have any specific recommendations. Part of me wants to say something like the Desert Fathers, but there's a real difference between somebody who believes that, um, you know, celibacy is a spiritual good versus somebody who's experienced this level of romantic rejection. Those those are two very different things, but maybe it would be helpful to seek those things out. I I, I know that there are, um, there's lots of writing out there from people who have been in similar situations. If anybody recommends anything, by the way, if anybody listening is like, oh, please, yes. this sounds uh, like me or like someone I know or like someone I have read from um, and, and has any recommendations for this letter writer, please share it. I would love to have something more than just a sort of general sense of um, love and support from afar. In general, I was going to recommend novels, like not novels about anything in particular, but just I found that novels, especially in the third person, can kind of give you a great source of of comfort and perspective. I do love novels. Yeah. They can't fix everything, but they are great. They do bring me, I mean, the reason I thought of it was specifically, I mean, not only because I basically eat books, but because um, the letter writer is asking for peace. And I think that that is a great source of peace. Yeah. And if nothing else, you know, I, I, I hope that you're able to like, if people are being this cruel to you, like in online dating, to maybe just let yourself take a break from yes. whatever services you're using. It doesn't sound like you're maybe doing this constantly, but like just anything you need to do to shut down, uh, like reduce the level of noise you're getting in terms of feedback on your appearance. I hope you can do that because you don't deserve to be surrounded with that. Take a, take a sabbatical from date from like dating and online dating, like every Every few months, it's something that I've done and I found it to be very clarifying and it made me less judgmental about myself. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the next letter, which I feel like at least has a very clear cut solution (laughs) for which I'm grateful. Like something I talk about a lot on the podcast is just the gift of clarity, which is sort of like the one thing you have when you're in a really awful situation. But at least it's so bad that you only have one option available to you. Like, you've been given the gift of clarity. Yeah. Um, there's no more ambiguity, and that's there's something to be said for that. So the subject here is not getting any better. Dear Prudence, my stepfather set his dog on me when I was a child, and I was mauled to the bone. I still have the scars on my arms 30 years later. I've done therapy. I've done support groups. Dogs no longer send me into immediate panic attacks, but they make me uncomfortable at best. At worst, I can't breathe, and I pass out. My fiancé's sister refuses to crate her dogs if we come over and has surprised me twice with her untrained jumping dogs. The last time her animals attacked me, I ended up having a panic attack and crying in the bathroom. My fiancé yelled at his sister and I overheard everything. She thought I should go back to therapy since it, quote, didn't fix me and I wasn't normal. My fiancé called his sister a heartless bitch and told his sisters we were not coming over if his sister was there. We left, and my fiancé has kept his word. It's gratifying to know that he's in my corner, but I still feel guilty that I'm the reason there's a rift in the family. There's no magical button that's going to make me better. It's taken years for me to get where I am, and this is honestly the best I think I can do. What do I do here? I don't want to break up my in-laws before the wedding even happens. Normally, I don't support it when people write in and they say something like, there was a fight in the family and one of us called someone else a heartless bitch. So I, I do think eventually yeah. it's good for your boyfriend to find other words um, and even to possibly apologize um, for saying that, like for saying like, you know what? I got too heated. I said something really unkind and inappropriate and and that was wrong. Like I shouldn't be using those <laughs> words even when I'm that upset. But man, oh man, if ever I were to give a pass, um, it would be someone who repeatedly left their like very badly trained dogs out 
let them leap all over a person they knew to be so traumatized by a dog that had left scars all over their arms from a childhood attack that they fled to the bathroom crying. And their response to that was, that person's not normal. That's pretty heartless and pretty awful. Yeah, I mean, not creating the dogs. It's like, well, I just, I don't want to adapt to her world, but she must adapt to mine. Um, And when you know that she can't, when you know that, like, it has taken her years of therapy to get to, like, first of all, it's incumbent on any, anyone who owns dogs yes. um, to have them trained enough to receive guests. And if they cannot safely receive guests, to make sure that they are, you know, safely somewhere where they can't hurt somebody. I have to say that the faint formality of receive guests makes me picture the dogs in tiny tuxedos with, like, waiters' napkins draped over their arms. It is a very formal <laughs> um, way of describing, like, having a dog that can be around people, yes. <laughs> Um, so, it, like, regardless of whether or not you had specific dog-related trauma, mm-hmm. she should be doing this already. That she knows you have scars all over your arms from a dog attack when you were a child that you have a really hard time being around them in the first place. Um, and has twice now just, like, casually watched her dogs, dogs jump all over you while you, like, struggle to, to stay conscious what's that about? (laughs) And then that it happened and she saw you run off and have a panic attack and her response was not get the dogs out of the room but to say that you need to go get more therapy and you're not normal, like, that's just cruel. That's just, there's nothing, there's no other word for it. Yeah. It's it's sadistic. I mean, don't feel, don't feel guilty because, I mean, this, the the way that these scenarios have played out suggests that this is a pattern in um, your, your sister, your future sister-in-law's life. Um, that this is like this is probably part of a sustained pattern of the way that she interacts with others. I'm very curious about her relationship with your brother and what it's been like generally. Um, but yeah, don't 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 feel guilty. You know, yeah. this isn't on you. Yeah, you are not the reason that there's a rift <laughs> in the family. I, I gotta say, like the fact that you are traumatized by a childhood dog attack that you had no control over is not a you know, you didn't cause that. You're not burdening anyone by being that person. That's something that happened to you when you were a child and couldn't control your surroundings. Um, so it's not a choice that you're making. You've done everything in your power um, to minimize the effects of this childhood attack. And you know very well, like, what triggers you. And you work really hard to make sure that you're not around those situations. Like, you're doing everything you can to to minimize conflict. Um What's being asked of his sister is really simple. It's just <laughs> when when my fiance's around, keep the dogs in a crate. That's it. And she's refused to do that repeatedly. And she's refused to do that even in a situation where she saw that it sent you in an absolute panic. So you're not the reason that there's a rift in the family. She's the reason there's a rift in the family. I don't mm. know what she's getting out of this that she's like, no, I love watching my dogs terrify this woman. But it's... It's weird and fucked up that she's getting something out of that and it's not your problem to fix. So your your fiancé did everything right. You're doing everything right. It's okay. I understand that those feelings of guilt are not going to go away. Um, but just pause in those moments and think like, man, if I had a friend who had scars in their arms from a dog attack and they came over, would I put the dogs away? And if I saw them crying in the bathroom... Would I let the dog still run around? And if the answer to that is no, then just imagine yourself as that friend of yours. Think, oh, well, if I wouldn't treat a friend that way, then I probably shouldn't be treated that way. And and that can be a helpful, like, little interruption in that sort of cycle of I'm a burden. I'm a problem. Other people shouldn't have to work so hard to accommodate me that we can all get, um, I think. Well, not we can all get. The sister clearly doesn't get it. Yes. I mean, do you you think the only solution is really just to to limit contact with the fiancé's sister? I, I I don't think there's anything for the letter writer to do, right? Yeah. Like it's it's uh, you don't have to like go either out of your way to to conciliate her or try like you probably wouldn't be spending a lot of time with her independently of your fiance. Yeah. And if right now the fiance says I'm not willing to go over to her house and she's not willing to like apologize or do anything differently, then that's kind of between them yeah. and it's going to be incumbent on her to either calm down, apologize, or just maybe you'll see her every once in a while at a restaurant and that's going to be it. But for mm-hmm. you, the only thing you need to focus on is your own well-being. You don't have to go out of your way to like really explain to her why this is so hard for you. She's seen your arms. She gets it. Yeah. 
You know, this is not an this is not a situation where the sister in law has insufficient information or there's some fault on both sides. And you could really kind of spend <laughs> some time digging into the past and say, what are ways in which I've had a part in this? Like, this is pretty one sided. Yep. Teach your dogs not to jump on people, guys. Nobody like like nobody likes it when, a, you know. Yeah. I mean, I have a, I, I know people like this. I mean, not to the extent of, of letting their dogs jump on people who are have obviously been traumatized. But I, I mean, I, I, have a, I have a friend whose sister basically is a minivan of untrained dogs and they terrorize friends who don't even have phobias. And she just sort of they they go around destroying cats. And it's just I, don't, I, I want to say this is a dog person thing, but I also don't know people who have been like traumatized by cats. I'm just generalizing based on my own I'm sure, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I love dogs. I even love like a jumping dog in like a situation where like we're playing and it's clear. Yeah, that yeah. You know what I mean? But like if I'm just coming over to someone's house for the first time and a dog just leaps all over me and the owner is sort of like, yeah, that happens. We don't do anything about it. I'm a little like, what? what's that? Don't, don't do that. Yeah. Um, just, just, I mean, I think, I think the real model of the story is just dress your dogs in tuxedos and give them tiny waitress napkins. Exactly. And, That's yeah. the solution to everything. All right. We are moving on from letters to voicemails. Hooray. Which I'm very excited about because we've had some heavy letters today and our voicemails are a little bit, light might be too strong a word, but. Um, funky. Funky. Thank you. Yeah, we got some funky letters. Oh, good. I'm back to my streak of failing to throw my water bottles in the trash can. Last week, I successfully uh, threw four in there. Doesn't um, that trash can say no trash on it? It does. It's, it's, so A of all, it's recycling, not trash. B of all, uh. it says outtakes only, no trash. Um, but that's wrong. I, I asked when I first came in, and it is recycling. The sign is old and outdated. Um, I promise everyone I'm not throwing water bottles in a uh, no no water bottle location. And that's the end of that anecdote. That exciting, <laughs> exciting anecdote. Do we have this uh, voicemail ready? Hi. So my question, or I guess my issue is that I had a baby about a year and a half ago. And um, I have always been the kind of person that carries most of my weight in my stomach. But people, even though it's been a year and a half, still think that I'm pregnant. And I don't really know how I'm supposed to respond to strangers who congratulate me or ask me what kind of, um, you know, if it's going to be a boy or a girl. Um, I don't want to embarrass them. So a lot of the times I just kind of go with it. But it's also, I know that it shouldn't be, but it's also just kind of hurtful when when they ask when I'm due. Um, and so I just was wondering what um what the correct response would be to when someone asks me that question thanks so i i think it's very kind of you letter writer that you don't want to embarrass anyone but i don't think that means you should have to absorb everyone else's uh, embarrassing behavior right like you're embarrassed every time that this happens um and you can just say i'm not you don't have to of course um, but if you are looking for something else to say um, that is true, you can just say, actually, I'm not. I think, yeah, I think I'm not might be the best solution. I have, yeah, there's the responsible me that says that the best thing is I'm not. And then there's the other version where I don't even acknowledge them and just keep walking. <laughs> yeah, you also don't have to talk to strangers. Makes me so mad. <laughs> I just I think it's part of the general issue with like people commenting on and thereby like subtly policing women's bodies um, in a way that I find really upsetting. No, and I'm uh, just picturing the response immediately being, but it's fun. I'm doing it for a fun reason. How can I be doing that if I like it? And it's like, mm, you still can. You've, it's fun for them to police? Right. No, like I can see this kind of person saying, I'm not policing anything. I just love pregnancy. I can't be policing because it's fun. I'm just talking to a stranger <laughs> about their body. And like, what? Are you? So are we just never supposed to acknowledge bodies? Is that it? We're just all supposed to sit in a room and look at cardboard and never say anything? Can't anybody talk anymore? You can look at tinfoil. I'm being muzzled. You're not being muzzled. You do not have a like inherent right to talk to strangers about their bellies. You will be fine if you tell fewer women that they look pregnant. You're gonna be in general. Fine. Like, don't talk to strangers about their appearances. Like, I mean, if you're meeting, I can see, I can see if you're meeting someone at like a cocktail party, and they are going to be in a relationship with you for either you know the period of an hour or two, or you're going to know them later on because of this, and they ask about it, then you can just say no, I'm not, and I can see that being 
a reasonable question almost if you're trying to get to know someone. But I also just, just feel like if somebody's pregnant and you and they want you to know, they will let you know. They will tell you. Yeah. Because people who are pregnant are usually pretty jazzed. Yes. And if they're not jazzed, they definitely don't want to talk about it. Like, um, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm thinking if there's a there was a an article in The Times a couple years ago about a woman who is in a similar situation where um, she has belly weight and people tend to assume that she's pregnant. And apparently strangers on the bus would like insist that she sit like in, in the, the pregnancy reserved seats or even like stroke her belly. No. <laughs> no, like the, commenting on strangers appearances should be like limited to I really like your shoes. And even then, like, don't, you know, do you need to say that? What if they're crossing the street and trying to pay attention? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, you're good. So anyways, we're getting a little off topic, which is these people are not writing to us. We're just hearing from this one lady. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to say anything. You can just keep keep moving along. Keep going about your day. Um, It doesn't sound like you want to, like, be really, like, deliver any smackdowns, which I think is totally fine, too. It's not like these people are trying to, I don't know, throw stuff at your head. It's 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 just garden variety mild rudeness disguised as friendliness it's you know if if you just want to say oh i'm not expecting and then keep walking that's fine like right you're not being like vicious or being like you idiot you're just saying i'm not which is just true um i know you are but what am i yeah you don't want to give you a cutesy answer of like is it a boy or a girl and be like it's my dinner you know like (laughs) sort of like it's a burrito like you know you don't have to have like a cute funny little jab um you can just say i'm not and that's fine um and that will hopefully feel better than just constantly letting them i don't know i feel bad i wish people didn't do this to you all the time that's the other thing is like people who do this and think that it's not a thing or like not a uh, not a bad thing are like it's just this one little moment and it's like yeah for you exactly for the person in question it happens all the time it's like when someone's when someone's tall they know they're tall okay like you don't have to be like, wow, you're tall. How's the weather up there? They it's know they're my tall. Favorite. Like they're, uh, leave tall people alone. Leave short people alone too. Yeah. Just, just leave people alone. Or just Let say, them walk. Say, say nice things. Say, inter- say interesting things. Say things they might not have heard 15 times already that day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just focus on people's shoes and be like, cool shoes. I approve. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Um, I know you don't want to embarrass these people, but they have embarrassed themselves by assuming a stranger was pregnant and bringing that up. Richly true. Mm, You know, if you don't want to embarrass yourself, mind your business. I don't know. I feel like that's all. I I could go about this for a a while, but I won't. We have one last voicemail, which I'm really excited about because it's, it's, I don't know, it's it's not the kind of question I normally answer. um, And I'm jazzed to... To see, I, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what your advice is for this one. Oh, man. Hi, Prudent. I'm a college student in upstate New York, and I have a question about my schedule for next semester. I'm a theater American studies double major, and I can't decide if I should take classes that fulfill requirements for my major and other all-college requirements or if I should take classes that just seem interesting for the hell of it. Um, you can certainly call me back. My number is I would love to talk to you more about this problem during an episode of your podcast. Um, but you can also just answer it. You can absolutely use my voice as is. No need to alter it. Uh, thank you and have a good night. I also love this. I've never had anyone leave a voicemail that kind of just ended in, in pleased laughter. Like I, there was sort of an air like someone was listening and it was a prank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, man, if we can convince Prudence this is a real question, we'll have really gotten one over. Which would be a very charming uh, little uh, prank to play. Um, can we? Do we have the technology to call back? Oh my god! So he's going to dial, and the voice will appear in our ears. Mm-hmm. Wow. If 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 this person picks up, okay. We got a voicemail, and the voicemail is full for this person. <gasps> Man, um, I'm just excited that this young person has such a robust life that their voicemail is packed. I hope full of other equally exciting young people who are also very stoked about their future course schedules. Oh, the mailbox is full. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Got voicemail, and we can't even leave a message. So This is a reminder. Leave your voicemail at least partially empty so that you don't miss out on important opportunities. Yeah, we want to hear from you. So, college student, upstate New York, 
double major, can't decide if they should take classes that fill, fulfill, let's try that one more time, classes that fulfill <laughs> requirements for their major or just whatever classes that seem interesting for the hell of it. Those are the two options. Go. I was I was confused by the perceived absence of a middle ground. No, no middle ground. There's no middle ground. Either it's all underwater basket weaving or oh, yes. all, you know, American theater. Why? By the way, why is underwater basket weaving? Like, why do I think of that as the go to for like a goofy? Fake I know. Class? I know. I, I heard about it when I was uh, when I was in college. Um, yay. These four years ago. I don't really know why it became the example. It has a Wikipedia page. It's it does. An idiom referring to a negative, referring in a negative way to supposedly useless or absurd university courses and is often generally used to refer to a perceived decline in educational standards. Oh, that is interesting. Okay, so when you weave willow baskets, uh, you do need to soak the dried willow rods in water. But that is before, not during. But yeah, you're not actually weaving underwater. An issue of the American philatelist from 19... I don't know if I'm saying that word correctly, by the philatelist? way. Philatelist? Philatelist? Yeah. Don't know. From 1956 refers to uh, a village where underwater basket weaving is the principal industry. But that's all. So I don't know if that's true. But wh- why is the American philatelist writing about anything other than stamps? Is that stamps? Yeah, right? I thought it was language. No, I am a linguist. So oh, what's, what's the one I'm thinking of? You're right. You're absolutely right. It is about uh, why phonetics, is, yeah, phonemics. Yeah. Why is morphology? Uh, why? Why on earth is a magazine about stamps talking about basket weaving? This is a great example of how, like, when you have an incredibly specific genre that you're working in, you almost immediately run out of material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just were like, "Well, we covered stamps in the first year. <laughs> the first so issue." I'm sure there's a lot more to say about stamps. So <laughs> it looks like uh, this phrase has been used in a pejorative sense since at least the 1950s. Wow. So as early as the 1950s, people were miffed um, about college majors. And baskets. Um, a letter to the – I'm so sorry. This is We're just going to be doing this for a minute. This but is fine. In a letter to the editor of the Los Angeles Times in 1956, a correspondent bemoaned the decline in academic standards among college football programs and mentioned, mentioned – Majoring in underwater basket weaving, or the preparation and serving of smorgasbord, or particularly at Berkeley, the combined course of anatomy and panty rating. That is a sentence that I could spend the rest of my life parsing. Easily. I'm just literally speechless. I'm just, like, quietly jawing. Okay. Um... Okay. Well, yeah. If nothing else, I'm gonna I'm gonna knock it off saying underwater basket weaving because it's just an old enough joke that uh, I think it's um yeah much much older than expected. I think it's overdone. So the point is, oh, that's adorable. Uh, since 1980, <laughs> I'm sorry, I will stop. But since 1980, <laughs> Reed College has offered an underwater basket weaving class. Of course, it's Reed. They during, have reeds during a festival of learning, like not during the regular yeah. school year, but a festival of learning that inf- offers informal, non-credit courses. What a playful tip of the cap to what was originally a dig. They must. They must have so many reeds waiting to be woven into baskets. Get out of my house. I'm sorry. Please, that was. I'm upset. Um, Okay, I'm just going to spend a lot of time looking at this later. But for now, um, yeah, why not both? Yeah. Why not some requirement? Right? Isn't that how? Yeah. I think that's what I did in college. So so there's the sensible answer, which is do both. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's supposing a world in which choices are entirely binary. Should you get your double major or should you just have a laugh? I mean, <laughs> uh, I would imagine, you know, Theater is a pretty exciting major, and American studies is like you study everything from novels to like economics to history to, yeah. to music. Like those are already pretty like broad categories. I would imagine there are a number of courses that could um, fulfill both requirements and also be kind of exciting. Yeah, this is confusing actually because if you, I, I guess, if you don't find those two in combination to be exciting, like what do you, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, if you don't find either of your course, like course requirements exciting, maybe you want a different major. Maybe what you want is uh, a major and then several minors so that you can distribute your time. Yeah. These are these are both good options. I don't know. I think you're doing great. Right. I, I just I love and affirm you. I can just tell 
that you're fun. Um, <laughs> and I would say, yeah, take a couple of requirements every semester. Don't don't have a semester where you fulfill no requirements because that is a real, you know, not that not that college should just always be reduced to are you constantly getting your money's worth of a diploma, um, but uh, you should at least a little bit be trying to get yeah. a diploma because you're going to need that at the end of it. And you are paying a lot of money. Someone's paying a lot of money. Yep. Um, yeah, take take at least, I don't know, three classes a semester in your requirement. And then whatever's left over, take something that's really, really fun. And if you find something that you like better than theater and American studies, maybe major in that. And I, and I would suggest if you haven't already, please see Angels in America, which seems to aptly combine both of your majors and interests. Yeah, you should see some plays. I yeah. definitely agree with that assessment. Um, you should also read Christopher Durang. And um, I actually don't know Christopher Durang. He, for some reason, I like had a copy of a number of like the scripts from his plays when I was in like eighth grade. Oh, maybe I'll know his plays, but not him. Um, so I think specifically the one that I read first that I was just like, what's happening to me? I don't understand was um, Sister Mary Ignatius Explains It All for You. And then I feel like also Baby with the Bathwater, which are just very, like, absurd and bleak and weird. And I was very, very distressed, but in a great way. Oh, I haven't um, heard of these. But it was great. Uh, I've never seen a Christopher Durang play. Um, but I, I can tell you that he denounced uh, the, like, adaptation of his play Beyond Therapy. He hated the movie. So maybe see that. I love seeing movies where, like, whoever wrote the original Finds the adaptation, like, it. totally unrecognizable. Like, um, uh, one of my favorite movies is Pennies from Heaven, which is a Steve <laughs> Martin, like, would-be tribute to the work of Fred Astaire. And Christopher Walken's in it and dances amazingly in it. It's, it's, a, it's a really that's not That's song. not the one where John Travolta has angel's wings, is it? That is Michael. That is the movie Michael, 1997. I saw that in the theater with my mom and dad. That should be called Michael from Heaven. It it's should confusing. be called Michael from Heaven, yeah. but it wasn't. And Fred Astaire saw it, like, just before he died. And he hated it. Oh. He hated it. He said he was, like, embarrassed. He thought it was, like... A, a, a blotch on the name of film and dance. So basically, it just it just dispersed whoopee cushions over his grave. He was um, very upset, and I always I I wish I could interview Steve Martin because I would want to know so badly. Like, what did it feel like to create an homage to Fred Astaire that Fred Astaire hated? Like, how do you get up in the morning? Not that he should feel bad, just I would feel so bad. Yeah. I wouldn't know how to go on. Steve I mean, Martin seems fine. I I've. I've seen plays. I have read some plays, but for some reason, the only plays I have read in full are the collected works of um, Ibsen, which okay. is a great way to, to sort of get your your daily recommended dose of symbolic waterfowl. There are just way too many symbolic waterfowl in Ibsen, with the exception of A Doll's House. Um, so letter writer, please uh, read A Doll's House. Yes. Yeah. Read some stuff. Take some courses. It sounds like you already have uh, a lot of classes that would probably fall within the like umbrella of just for the hell of it for your coursework. So you, you've got a lot of options ahead of you. I mean, it's your, you know, it's your money or your family's money. It's somebody's money. Um, you get, get what you can out of it. And if two years from now you're like, oh, no, the ant and the grasshopper happened to me. <laughs> I have, you know, played while the sun shone and now it is winter and I have no requirements. Then, you know, you will suffer accordingly and learn a valuable lesson. You should read The Ant and the Grasshopper. You should become a classics major. You know what? Nope, that's my new answer. So we become a classics major. We basically answered just by giving her an entirely separate curriculum that was neither of the things that she wanted. Yeah, Christopher Durang, Ibsen. Um, Angels in America. Mary Renault, become a classics major. Daniel yes. Mendelssohn. You're yes. Good. You're good to go. All right. Uh, Jamie, we did it. We solved everyone's problems. Incredible. Um, everyone is going to have a better life now, materially better, because specifically of you and the work that we have done here today. I feel I feel a little better about myself. I'm so, so glad to hear that. Um, thank you for, for coming on the show. Thank you for um, feeling better about yourself. And please come back sometime soon. And let's see if we can't get you feeling even better next time. Anytime. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to Slate.com slash Dear Prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to Slate.com slash Plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. 
You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute, tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.